You're listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. This week, we conclude our study on the identity, practices, and purpose of the church with the series we are calling The Church. With this week's message, here's Senior Pastor Lance Bourgeois. Some of you know our story, uh, so this may be uh, something you've heard before, but I recognize some of you wouldn't. In 1998, Ellen and I were getting ready to graduate from Dallas Seminary, and we'd never heard of Wichita Falls. I mean, like ever heard of Wichita Falls. And one of my professors, who had a strong connection to Grace Church, said, I think you need to go up and talk with Grace Church. And I'm like, well, that's great. Where is it? And he said, Wichita Falls. I said, Kansas? And he said, no, that's Wichita. I'm like, well, where's Wichita Falls? He said, Northwest. I'm like, well, we're not going there. And the truth is, is with my family being from South Louisiana, my wife's family being from South Louisiana, we always thought we'd graduate and we'd head back South Louisiana, maybe the Mississippi Panhandle, Southern Alabama, Panhandle, Florida, somewhere in that world. And then he said these words to me that were compelling when he said, hey, don't talk to him if you don't want to. He said, uh, there's, there's other churches that do church as well as Grace Church, but I've never, I don't know of any churches that do church better than Grace Church. I'm like, well, for crying out loud, how do I not to go talk to him? So I reached out and came up here. So that's 1998. And we were here until 2014. In 2014, we had the opportunity to move back to South Louisiana, which was the dream until it wasn't the dream. In 2019, Grace Church reached out to Ellen and I and invited us uh, to come back. And with that, we jumped up and we moved back to, to Texas. And you realize, what happened? What happened? All of a sudden, that which was the dream to get back to Louisiana was ours. And all of a sudden, the reality is we fell in love with Grace Church. We did not fall in love with the climate of Wichita Falls. The landscape of Wichita Falls. The geographical distance to things we enjoy like mountains or beaches, we didn't fall in love with that either. You know why we're back? We fell in love with this place. We fell in love with Grace Church, our church family. We fell in love with the leadership team here at Grace. It's a special place. And if you've been here for a while, you've probably already seen it. If you're new to Grace Church, you may have stumbled in here because maybe you heard something positive about Grace Church. But on Monday, when we had our staff meeting, preparing for this message, knowing where we're going today, I asked our staff, hey, tell me something God has done in your life through Grace Church. And we listened to those stories. And we talked about what God had done. Because the reality is this. We recognize this as a special place. And this morning, what we want to do is this. We're going to talk through the fact that we had our doors open in 1963. We celebrated our 60th birthday back in March. We are still, in a lot of ways, the same church. The reason that God opened our doors, our values for who we are, why we do what we do, are still there. But we recognize that from time to time, we may need to think through some of the terminology. Why? Because there's this thing called mission drift, where organizations, companies can fall into the same deal. I was struck that seven years ago, Chili's, the restaurant, came out and they said, you know, we've come a long way. They opened in 1975 down in Dallas as what they described as a little hamburger shack down on Greenville Avenue inside of LBJ. 
They said, we look up all these years later and we're known for burgers, fajitas, and of course, baby back ribs, right? And so they said, we sell them around the world. And they looked up and said, what's happened to us is we now have 125 items on our menu. And that's fine. We feel like we do them well. But the idea was, when did we decide that we could be all things to all people? So they looked up and said, you know what? In our pursuit of being all things to all people, we've kind of lost our identity. We've lost what makes us unique as a restaurant. And so when they came out publicly and stated this, they said, starting today, we're cutting back our menu by 40% because we don't want to be all things to all people. We want to do what God calls us to do, and we want to do it the very best we can do, which means we're going to cut back on our menu. I will tell you, churches and organizations can fall into the same trap. How do we go about being who God calls us to be without adding in every dimension we can add in? What did God call us to be? Because it doesn't really matter. There's lots of good things, but you can't do everything well. So what did God raise Grace Church up to be? So we have those conversations, and you recognize what Chili's did was they said, we've drifted, and then they looked back and said, we're not where we used to be, so let's make the necessary changes to come back to what we're supposed to be doing. I'm thankful that here at Grace Church, we can move in a direction that says, you know what, let's consistently evaluate and think about where we are so that we don't have to make a huge course correction. We can just keep looking and saying, are we where we need to be? Are we doing what we need to do? And are we doing what God called us to do or caused us to do in this community? So over the last five weeks, we've been looking at a theology of the church. This is what we've covered in the course of those weeks. If you're curious about the female pronouns, it's because God calls the church the bride of Christ. And so we have female pronouns for that. But we talked about the church's identity, capital C church, the church universal that speaks to everybody that has trusted Christ from the day of Pentecost forward. We talked about the little C church, the local church. We talked about imagery in Scripture. We talked about the fact that the Lord left ordinances, two ordinances to the church for us to continue to practice communion or Lord's Supper, and baptism. We talked about the church's calling, that we've got an upward call to worship, we've got an inward call towards his church, and we've got an outward call about a witness into this world. We've got an organization, if we've got a chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I made the statement a couple of weeks ago that if we don't get that step right, we will not get any other step right because it all begins with the step of the Lord Jesus Christ as our chief shepherd. And then he's got elders, which are under shepherds. Charlie's one of them, and you just heard him a second ago. And then we talked about deacons and how we serve. We talked about the believer priests. That's all of us who know Christ. And then we talked about our shepherding team is that you may end up hiring staff talked about our worship last week. It's more than just singing a song. It's more than just coming into a service. service. It's a lifestyle. And we're going to go through all of those. And today we're going to talk about Grace Church's mission and values. Because what we do is we've come through all five of those things and we're left with this idea that when we say, okay, so if Jesus Christ is our chief shepherd and he's got under shepherds, which are the elders or the local overseers of this body, then they are setting the course for where we're headed as a church. And so all of that to say, we're going to move forward. Part of our message this morning, for you to hear me say this, is we're going to look at our church's mission statement, what it's been, and what, what changed, or the terminology of it. We're going to look at our values, and then we're going to talk about some practical implications for us as a church as a result of that. So as we turn into this, this has been our mission statement 
for years. I mean, a long time. We exist to raise up mature disciples of Jesus Christ. When I tell you that all we did was update the terminology, we're not changing the heart behind it. It was the idea that maybe some of this terminology has become dated. For example, if you look at that term raise up, is we, we still exist to do this thing, but maybe the terminology raise up, that may be a word that my parents would have used in raising me. It probably was a word that my grandparents used raising my parents. But for us, that's not a phrase that typically gets used a lot these days. Raise up mature, mature because it speaks about a finished product, that maturity has happened. As we saw, that may look like a finished product. And I don't know about you, but I don't think there's a lot of people in here that are saying, I'm a finished product. As we recognize that this side of heaven, we're never going to be a finished product. And so if we're raising up mature, did we ever get there? Can we ever achieve it? Is that something that even makes sense for us to strive for? Disciples. If you were here when we did our sermon series on the seven characteristics of a committed disciple, we talked about some of the confusion around that word. Scripture only has one word for disciple in the New Testament, but we see it ranging from the spiritually mature to the people who are not even spiritually alive yet. When we see in John 6 is that uh, Jesus uh, said many hard things that day, and as a result of that, many disciples walked with him no further. So we thought there was some confusion in that. So the heart remains the same, but this is what we changed our mission statement to, the elders did. We exist, excuse me, our mission is to develop. Develop. We want to make progress on the pathway of discipleship. Maturing talks about progress again. Not so much the end result, but the journey that we go on as we seek to grow in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ because what we're doing in the end is following. And so the idea that we could clarify our mission statement to the point that we could put that out there and make that as clear as possible, not only for our church, that there is a rallying around, this is who our church is, but for anybody that checks out who our church is, is that they would understand. The fear being that if somebody says, we exist to raise up mature disciples, that somebody might look at them like, that's not the place for me. I'm a train wreck. No, that's not our goal. I understand. We're all train wrecks in various capacities. The calling to say, are we developing? Are we growing in our relationship with the Lord? What does that mean and how are we going to do it? So as we move through some passages, I want to call attention to some of where we're going with this. If I ask you to think about the process, this is Jesus in Mark chapter 3. When we read, he went up to the mountain and he called to him those whom he desired and they came to him. Let's be real clear. The first step of discipleship is the call of Christ in our life. And the second is that we would then follow him, right? Is that we would step into that. And as great as that is, I think there is something so critical about the next verse that we may overlook from time to time. And he, Jesus, appointed 12, whom he also named apostles. And there's two things that he did. Number one, that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach. Do you see the two things? Because the first of the things is that they might be with him. Now, second, they might send them out to preach. And you may be sitting here and saying, man, I'm glad he didn't call me to go out and preach. And I'm telling you, you may not be called to go out and preach. 
But if you were with us in that seven characteristics of a committed disciple study, then part of where we ended was the seventh one is that you become a reflection of Jesus in this world, is that we look like him. Now, within that context, if you would allow me to change, that he might send them out to preach, which is what he did with the apostles. But for you and I, that we might be a reflection. They were going out to preach as a reflection. But I want you to look with me at the danger of what we learned from this passage is we cannot be a reflection of Jesus until we have spent time with Jesus. It's impossible. Because think with me about all the scriptural passages you know that you and I would say, well, that just doesn't make any sense. I wouldn't have handled that. When Peter denies Christ three times, you're telling me we would have handled that the way he did? How about when Thomas doubted him? How about when there was a woman caught in a sexual situation? And he handles that situation with such grace and honor and frees her up. When you go through all those scripture passages, if somebody strikes you, turn the cheek and let him strike your other cheek. We didn't come up with that. And the only way we can reflect Jesus in this world is if we spend enough time with him to know who he is and how he acts and how he responds so that then we can learn from him and go be a reflection. See, it's really a significant thing. We are sending out people in the world that are trying to be a reflection of him that haven't spent time with him. And you know what happens when we do that? We're reflecting ourselves, and we put ourselves in a position where we're acting like we know what's right because we can't reflect Jesus. We don't know him. And so now we've got to lean into the idea, what does that mean for us? I'd like you to open up your copy of Scripture to Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1, we're going to read this passage And I think that the psalmist offers us some really great things to think about. And then he's going to offer us a word picture that hopefully makes that a little bit more clear for us. Psalm chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 1. Begins with blessed. Translation can be happy, can joyful, those kind of things, okay? So blessed, happy, joyful is the man or the woman who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his or her delight is in the law of the Lord. And on the Lord's law, he meditates day and night. Notice this. Verses 1 and 2 are making it really clear. Where is the influence in the believer's life? What is the input that is coming in to their heart and to their soul that makes the impact on how they think about life, how they process life? What do they do if somebody strikes them on on one cheek? Do they turn the other cheek? What do all those people tell you? If you're walking in the counsel of the wicked, you're standing in the way of sinners, you're sitting in the seat of scoffers, what does the world tell you to do? You hear the influence? The person who's happy or blessed or joyful is not the person that the world has their ears. No. This person's delight is in the law of the Lord, meditating on this day and night. This is what's driving them. This is their influence. This is what it looks like for us to be with him before we go reflect him. It's got to begin here. Here's the word picture. Look at verse 3. He is like a tree. She's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. We're not talking about financial prosperity. Yielding fruit. The idea is this. 
is if we're going to be with him, we have the nurturing of the river and the water source and the healthy soil and the nutrients in that soil so that we're producing fruit. Now, let's carry that back into Mark 3, that they may be with him and then that we would reflect him. Because if the world has our ears, that's where our influences come from, that's not a great place. But the person who makes this their influence, their passion, their pursuit to know him, this is what it looks like for us to become that tree. That when we're with him, we become that tree next to the water source that's healthy, vitalized, producing fruit. And you know what that fruit reflects? Jesus Christ. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of a sudden, we're producing this fruit. And you want to talk about hopelessness, and when we read wicked, we're really just talking about somebody that's mind is set apart from Christ. We're not even talking about, like, these are the really terrible people. These are just people that are living their lives and don't know the Lord. The wicked are not so. They're not going to be like that tree planted by a stream of water. They're not going to be yielding its fruit in se- their fruit in season. The wicked are not so. They're like the chaff that the wind drives away. The wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. All of a sudden what we see is the reality for the life that you and I want to live, that produces fruit, that's a resource, that's healthy, that's vitalized, is to be like that tree planted by that river, which brings us back to Jesus saying, I want you to be with me, and then after you're with me, I want you to go produce the fruit that reflects me in the society. See, all of a sudden, we begin to say, okay, well, that makes some sense, doesn't it? Now, if we think legacy, let's go back to this. The chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. We see him in that role. We think Scripture teaches that role. Did he understand that he had that role? Well, his lead into what's known as the Great Commission, we're going to look at that verse in a minute, Look at what he says. Jesus came to his followers and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Did he have a grasp of his role as the chief shepherd? I think he does. And I think he's looking around, and if he's about to offer us this commissioning for us to go do something. And in case you or I were like, yeah, but who is he? He's just a person. Does he really have the authority to send me on mission? Well, Jesus certainly believes that he does. All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. And because that's true, here's his instruction. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And that word go is really a participle as you're going. If you're thinking, well, there's my out. I've got no desire to travel the world and go to some other country somewhere else and share them. I just can't do that. That's not even what that means. As you're going is how it gets interpreted. As you walk into your house today, as you work in, walk into your workplace, as you go into a grocery store, as you go into the post office, as you go into a restaurant, as you go wherever it is you go, as you go to the tea box, your imperative verb that's the instruction for you and me is to make disciples there. Wherever you're going, you stay in the course or the path of life God has you in, and you make disciples there, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Baptizing points to conversion. So when I said a minute ago that disciple can be a word that Scripture uses in a lot of ways, this verse is actually showing us the breadth of it. 
Make disciples, beginning with the people who don't know me yet, beginning with the people that have no spiritual life yet. Start with them so that you can help bring them along the spiritual journey until they come to faith and then you baptize them. And then if they already know me, is that they keep moving down the path as you're teaching them. And you're like, Lord, that's really hard. That's a lot. I don't know that I can do it. That's scary. And Jesus, I think, so gently says, and behold, I've got you. Give me your hand. Give me your hand. You're never going to be alone a day in your life. I'm going with you everywhere you go. You're safe with me. I have you. I know your fears. I know where you're weak. I'm strong. Let me give you the words. Let me give you the eyes. Let me give you the heart for you to go do this. Because the reality is, is this model of discipleship says, you know what? From John 6, Jesus said many hard things that day. And many disciples walked with him no further. Our quest, as you're going, wherever you're going to go today, tomorrow, this week, this month, this year, is that if you've got somebody that's in that curious phase where they don't understand who he is and they're asking you questions, praise the Lord. Because the reality is, is you were planted as a tree somewhere by a healthy, vitalized source of soil, and you produce fruit, and they saw the fruit, and they said, tell me where you got that fruit, because the world can't do that fruit. And now all of a sudden, you and I get a chance to say, well, let me tell you about my Savior. To the convinced who said, I believe he's who he says he is. I don't know that I want it, but I can see that he's pretty unique. I can understand that there's something unique about him and who he is. To the committed who would say, I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to take up my cross, and I'm going to follow him to the commissioned who say, you know what, Lord, I will be that tree and I will be there planted and I will produce fruit so that the whole world can come and grab the fruit and so that I can offer that to the world. But you see where that tree begins in our analogy is by being with him because then we produce fruit that's consistent with who he is and then we become a reflection. If you're out there saying, yeah, I don't know how to do that. What do I have? What do I have? Well, let me tell you three things. We've talked about these things before. One of the things that you have to manage in your life is your time. You get to manage your time. And I don't know any of us who are saying, I've got too much time. Know this, is if you feel like you don't have enough time to do the things you're doing, then you probably are doing things the Lord isn't calling you to do because he would not call you to things that you cannot accomplish. So he wants to lean in. He wants to empower you. He wants to give you wisdom to know how to step into those things. Look at what Paul writes. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time. Time. One of the Greek words for time is chronos. That's where we get the word chronology, right? Things done in sequential order, seconds, minutes, hours. That's not this word. This word is talked about an opportunity in time. An opportunity in time that may present yourself that if you're at a restaurant and you find yourself in a spiritual conversation with a food server, is you have to evaluate, is this an opportunity that God brought me? Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but wise, wisely. Make the best use of time because these days are evil. You may not get another opportunity to have that conversation. Lord, would you have me have this conversation now? It becomes incredibly meaningful. You also have talents. You also have talent. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. 
showing hospitality to one another without grumbling. You know what? You've got talents, but I want, you to, I want us all to recognize this doesn't speak to a group of people. This speaks to all of us who know the Lord. Is that we would all be in the business of showing hospitality to one another without grumbling. No grumbling. No complaining. How do we love people well? And then he goes on and differentiates. As each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Let me tell you, you know this. God gave you a gift, and it may be different than what other people have. But isn't that great? Now, i got to tell you, the wor- this would solve any parking issue we have at our church if you asked me to play the guitar and sing like Blake. I am so grateful for our worship team, so many gifted people who faithfully serve our church in leading us into worship. What a gift. And yet, could you imagine if they're like, you know what? I'm tired of bringing that to the church. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go into my closet. I'm going to sing to my clothes. And Blake, there he is, just in his guitar, with his guitar in his closet. And you'd say, that does not make any sense. And I would ask you to consider, what are the giftings that the Lord put in your life for you to use for his purposes to grow and build up the church? You have them. And we will never be the church God's calling us to be until we're all using those gifts. God's stewards, it's his gift given to us for us to manage for his purposes. His varied grace, it varies. We all have different things. You've got time. You've got talents. Here's the third one, your treasures. And if you're thinking, oh, here it goes. Here's where he asks for money. I'm not going to ask you money. I'm going to tell you what Paul writes to the church at Corinth. And if you've never heard this, be really encouraged. We call this grace giving, not because it's grace church giving. We sense that the doctrine of God's grace extends to how we handle our financial resources. Listen to what Paul writes. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you and arrange in advance the gift you have promised. So it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. We are not trying to take your money away from you. The Lord is not trying to take your money away from you. It is a willing gift. You prepare in advance so that you have a plan. What do you want to do to entrust whatever resources you have back to the Lord? And then he gives us a principle. The point is this. Thanks for simplifying it. Here's the point. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Sow a little, reap a little. Sow a lot, reap a lot. That's not hard for us to comprehend. Where we seem to so often have breakdowns is what? I want to sow a little and I want to reap a lot. Lord says, no, I want you to trust me that I see what's going on. There's this law of sowing and reaping and we get to join the Lord and what he's doing. All of the resources are his, but he's given them to us or entrusted them to us for us to manage for his purposes. So therefore, back to 2 Corinthians, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That's why we call it grace giving. I think the Lord has said to you, do you want to figure out what you want to entrust back to me for my purposes? Here's the deal. I love a cheerful giver. I love a cheerful giver. Do not give one dime more than you can give cheerfully. Nobody's trying to take your money from you. It's an invitation to reap bountifully. That's the invitation. 
So how do we lean into that in a way that would honor him and who he is? See, now all of a sudden we see, okay, there's a legacy there that we have been entrusted with time, talents, and treasures. And the question for the tree that gets planted because that tree is there by the water meditating on the law day and night is producing fruit. And now the question is, Lord, what would you have me do with the fruit that you've given me because I'm reflecting you in this world? You've given me three resources, time, talents, and treasures. So what am I going to do with that? It's an invitation to join him. That is our mission. That's what we believe. You have a gift. The Lord wants to do something in you and through you. We also have values. They differ. Mission is why we opened our doors. Values is what makes Grace Church Grace Church. And every church has values. Years ago, we brought in a consultant to help us think through our values and came up with this long list of things. We care about this. We care about this. We care about this. And the consultant made such a great statement when he said to us, well, those are all great things, but you cannot simultaneously be all of those things at the same time. It's like the Chili's menu that swelled to 125 items. The question isn't, do you value, uh, do you care about those things? But what are the values that you manifest at your church? And then all of a sudden we started saying, oh, well, that becomes real clear. We sometimes refer to it as the air that you breathe at Grace Church. And so we came up with these values that we thought were core to who Grace Church has been. Our priority is a loving relationship with Jesus Christ. He's our chief shepherd. If we get that wrong, that's why we're here because of a loving relationship with Jesus Christ. Our ministry is centered in the lives of people. In people, that's our calling, to be engaged with people. Number three, life-related Bible teaching. We're not here to teach classes that nobody cares about or don't have any application. We are here to relate this book and these scriptures to everyday life. It has everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. So God, how do we do it? And then fourth is that we're going to embody grace in all that we do. Now. Having said that, we haven't lost any of those values, but we reworded them. So see if you can hear them. Our values is informed by the testimony of Scripture. We've listed them as our commitment and our desires. Here's our deepest desire that each person in Grace Church, whether you're on our live stream, you're in this room, on our campus at any point in the week, our deepest desire is that each person in Grace Church will develop a loving relationship with Jesus Christ and then extend that love and service to others. Be that tree that's producing fruit. And then when you produce that fruit, offer that to the world around you as we love others. That's part of our calling. Here's our commitment. We commit to walk alongside each person in the process by offering life-related Bible teaching and embodying grace in all that we do. We do not have a conveyor belt. We're not a manufacturing line. We walk with people. We love people, care for people for, down this pathway of discipleship. So all of a sudden, what we do is we come back and we say, okay, so we're going to walk with people through each step. Watch what we see in John chapter 3. If you turn over to the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we get a great story about somebody named Nicodemus. And when we read this, you see that he's Jesus is just walking alongside him to get him to the point where he will understand the reality of his spiritual state. John chapter 3, verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a religious leader, ruler of the Jews. Verse 2, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, 
for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now think with me about the discipleship. He's curious. He's asking questions. Rabbi, what's up with you? Maybe even convinced because he said, we know that what you're doing could not be done by you alone. So now we've moved into that. Verse 3, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, let's not be harsh with Nicodemus. Nobody ever talked about spiritual birth before. You and I would have responded the same way. How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Nicodemus looking around like, okay, not sure what I'd do with that. Drop down to verse 16, same chapter. One of the more well-known verses of scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Jesus didn't come to bring condemnation. We were already condemned. To take analogy of falling overboard off a cruise ship and floating in the ocean, we were all floating in the ocean drowning. Jesus didn't come and, and tell us or throw us into the ocean. Jesus was the one that showed up and said, I have a life preserver that I can throw you. That's what he said. Because everybody was condemned. He didn't bring condemnation. That was already true. And so John carries that theme. In case you're like, what is this spiritual life about? Well, John carries on. This is eternal life that they know you. The only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is it. Let's just bottom line it. You want eternal life? This, son, this life is found in the Son, the only true God. John, in his epistle, writes this. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in the Son. It's not in works. It's not in attitudes. It's not about giving it your best shot, not pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. This life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Well, I think I'm doing pretty well. I mean, if God grades on the curve, I think maybe I'll slide in. I better go do some good works this week just to kind of tilt the scales a little bit. No, no, no. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. You don't have to hope. You don't have to wish. You don't have to live in fear. You don't have to live in anxiety of it. It's a settled matter. And if you're here and you don't know him, or you're watching on the live stream and you do not know him, you can put that anxiety to rest. This eternal life is found in the Son. If you have the Son, you have the life. If you don't have the Son, you don't have the life. But it, here's the great promise out of First John, is you don't have to worry about it. You can come to a decision today that says, you know what, I recognize I was floating in the water. There was no life draft for me until Jesus came. And Jesus came and he went to the cross and he paid a debt that wasn't his debt to pay. And when he paid that debt, all of a sudden he got a life preserver when he walked out of the grave. And he can throw that life preserver to you and me. And if you don't know him, then the reality and the gift of saying, Lord, I believe that when you did that, you did that for me. And all of a sudden you get a life preserver and you have been saved. 
And that life is in the Son. And He's the only one who can do that for you. This is why this is our utmost priority. Because if we don't understand this, then we've got no purpose as a church. If we don't offer Jesus Christ, then we can't offer this world anything. Well, it begins to change everything we do. It begins to change everything we do. Because if we're going to be that tree planted by water, we're going to yield fruit. If we learn the scriptures and we walk on that path of discipleship, then we're going to come to how does that relate to other people? A new commandment I give you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also love one another. See how significant that is? If we're not with him, we don't even have a clue how he loves other people. First of all, us. How patient he is with us. How forgiving he is with us. How he restores us. If we don't spend time with him, then we won't know how he loves people. And our calling is to go love people and reflect them in this world and love him in such a way that other people would love him as well. That's our calling. It's our value at our church. Now, the reality, what we commit to, is we're going to keep teaching the Scriptures. And we're going to keep offering grace. We have to. Because it's what it looks like when you spend time with the Lord. He offers us grace. But know this, when Paul writes to Timothy, he says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. I don't know. I guess you could argue that's not already happening. When Paul wrote this to Timothy, it's coming. It's coming. 2,000 years later, we may be there. Have itching ears. They're going to accumulate the teachers that they want to suit their own passions. They're going to turn away from listening to truth. They're going to wander off into myths. That's everywhere. We see that everywhere. You can find a podcast that will support any idea you have. It's a hypothesis. I haven't checked, but I bet you it's true. What's our mandate? Our mandate is clear. But as for you, you teach what accords to, uh, which accords to sound doctrine. If we miss the chief shepherd step, if we miss that step, then everything else will go wrong. And if I start teaching something that doesn't agree with the chief shepherd, I'm wrong, not him. He didn't fail to understand what the 21st century was going to be like. He didn't fail to grasp what we would be facing. No, he offered us his enduring truths, and we get to lean into that and walk with him in a way that would honor him so that we remain that tree. Now, grace orientation, I recognize, and it may happen today, sometimes we preach a little long. I'm just That was my little warning to you. You're welcome. <laughs> Just so you're prepared. When Jesus tells us in John 16, he says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. You want to talk about a grace. They said, I'm not loading you up with so much information that I'm just going to continue to pour it on. This is the master teacher. This is Jesus. This is the master teacher. And he says, you know what? There comes a point where the ground is saturated and it just cannot absorb any more. And I know as a church for a long time, we've been, people thought we're the, the classroom church or a teaching point and all those things. We do want to continue to teach doctrine and we will and we will not apologize for it. But there comes a point where maybe we need to quit giving more and we need to stop and let it soak in. It may be a season of application. It may be a season of obedience. It may be a point in time where we just need to sit with truth. And you know what? 
We will be faithful to teach all the things the Lord calls us to teach. And where we are deficient, we know that the Holy Spirit will come and he will guide you into all truth. The Lord is not dependent only on us to lead you into truth. The Holy Spirit comes and joins you. So we're going to keep leaning into that. And we're going to trust that the Lord will provide for us in all of those things. So where does that leave us? Well, we've got some implications. There are some realities that we're facing as a church. The first is regarding maturing followers of Jesus Christ. That's our mission. That's what we're after. We see biblical evidence for at least three dimensions of spiritual growth in the life of the maturing follower of Jesus Christ. We see at least three. And we're going to describe these as, as various access points, okay? The first one is worship, is that we would be engaged in worship, be it here with the church body, be it in your own life, but that there would be this axis of worship in your life. One that is about responding to the Lord and who he is, but the second is about modeling what it looks like to worship the Lord and, and go before the Lord in humility and to honor him. When Paul writes uh, to the Colossians, he said, I want you to teach each other with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. There's something we learn as we worship alongside other believers. So I want you to respond, and I want you to model in worship. I want you to connect. I want you to be connected. If you're going to love one another, that is our next word, uh, sermon series that we're doing that will start next week. If you're going to connect with one another, you're going to have to learn to love and serve one another. And there's two sides to that too. If I were to ask you, how many of you are really comfortable with people who are similar to you? Yeah, sign me up, right? How about those that are different from you? Because there are things that God did not put inside of you that he left out intentionally. It wasn't an oversight. It wasn't an accident. He wanted to draw us into the reality that we need each other. So that person that's different than you may have what you need. We've got to learn how to connect with them. And if you're saying, where do I connect at Grace Church? Man, we got a lot of opportunities. We have adult Bible fellowships that meet every Sunday morning, and you're invited to participate. Those are going to continue on and on in the life of our church. We've got men's studies, got women's studies. We have co-ed studies on Wednesday nights. Or you could join a service team, and you could begin to serve on a team, which is our last axis. Serve inside the church, serve outside the church. Find an opportunity to use the gift that God has given you. There's a QR code in the bulletin. You've got the link in the Church Center app that pulls up all the ways, that, not all the ways, a lot of ways that you can serve. But recognize this. If we're going to be a healthy, balanced church and healthy, balanced believers, then we've got to learn how to worship, serve, and connect. Not with Joe's, just those that are inside and similar to us. For those who are outside and maybe different than us. How do we lean into that to do that so that we're a balanced church and balanced as believers? The second implication is this, is that there's a strategy and a stewardship reality that we live within. We want to always evaluate how best to achieve our mission. So we evaluate mission drift, terminology, terminology all those things within the context of our values as it pertains to ministry programming and resources. Some of you love change. Some of you are like, just change for change sex good. Some of you change feels really difficult and you're like, I hate change. Because our mission is that we want to develop maturing followers of Jesus Christ, if you look around this room, you say, well, I mean, right now there's some chairs. If you walked in five minutes late into the service this morning, you had a lot of trouble figuring out where you were going to sit. So the first thing to tell you is this, is we're starting December 24th, we've got to change our schedule because we have to free up seats in this room. We have to. 
If you do not know the Lord, if you're somebody who is in our community and you show up and say, you know what, I might as well give Jesus a try. I know somebody there looked like they had fruit that they had produced in their life. I want to know more about who they are and what they're doing. I want to learn more about their Jesus that they keep meditating on his law day and night. Think they're going to come to the early service or the 1045 service? Yeah, it's the 1045 service. You can say, well, Lance, we just dismissed 100 kids out of here. I know, we did. You know why we keep the kids in here? Because remember that worship had not only that we respond to God, but we model. If we've got kids that are coming into this room and they're worshiping with their moms, they're worshiping with their dads, they're watching other adults worship and sing. When we pass the communion plates, they say, hey, when do I get the snack? And mom and dad gets to lean over and say, oh, no, 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 honey, it's not a snack. Let's talk about this after service. This isn't about a snack. This is about what Jesus did for you, and we're unwilling to give that up. We're not walking away and giving away 100 seats to kids and dismissing them 20 minutes later. It's modeling for the next generation. That's what we're committed to. And so come December 24th, which is when we'll move into our holiday schedule, that and the following Sunday, uh, we're moving to that schedule where we will have two services, one at 9, and the other at 1045, and you're going to be invited to participate. Our adult Bible fellowships, we're still hammering out how that schedule's all going to work together, but know this, we're going to continue our adult Bible fellowships. Why? Because it's a place to connect with those who are similar and those who are different. We're committed to all of these things of the church, and so we keep leaning into that. By the way, if you remember the phases, and we pulled down the board off the easel outside, is the second phase of our rebuilding or remodeling was an education space because we've got two spaces upstairs that are small rooms that we're going to knock down walls and make bigger rooms. You know how great it is that by changing to this schedule, we just doubled our education space for free? Just because we changed schedule, which saves significant dollars for us. That's what we're doing. That's where we're headed. I love this quote from Chuck Colson, if you're familiar with that name. The church is not incidental to the great cosmic struggle for the hearts and the souls of modern men and women. Church is not incidental. We're not an also-ran. We're not something that is just thought of later. No. It's the instrument that God has chosen for the battle. It's the instrument God has chosen for the battle that we're in. A battle we're called to by virtue of being members of his body to bring hope and truth to a needy world. The church must be the church. Grace Church is part we are completely sold out on developing maturing followers of Jesus Christ. That's where we're headed. We're glad that you're here with us. We're glad you're part of our church family. We invite you to join us in that as we continue to lean in to what God's calling us to. You've been listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. You can join us for worship Sunday mornings at our campus on Stone Lake Drive in Wichita Falls. Stream services live online at gracechurch.com or subscribe to our podcast published on Apple, Google, and Spotify. From all of us at Grace Church, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.